3: Hello dear listener and welcome back to Owning It, the Anxiety Podcast with me Caroline Foreign. I'm the author of three books, Owning It, The Confidence Kit and Naked is my latest book all about the power of vulnerability. I'm joined this week by a fellow author, Jack Williamson is his name. He's more than an author, he is a therapist, a coach, founder of Music and You. He has a long, illustrious career working in the music industry as a talent manager and working within record labels. He's worked with Mariah Carey. He's worked with Lewis Capaldi. He has worked with, oh my God, the list goes on. Kanye West, I think, is in there as well. George Michael. He has an incredibly interesting background. And here he shares his story with me. What brought him to this point of writing the book called The Shitty Committee, which has recently been endorsed by Oprah herself. So you know it's got to be good. And we talk about anxiety and the music industry what shaped his his experience what brought him here and really what the essence of the book is and what people can take from it Um, and it's really really powerful so I hope you find this as engaging and helpful and, and really inspiring as I did thank you as always for listening thank you to Jack for being a wonderful guest and as always I always appreciate any reviews or shares or feedback that you might have for me and thank you as always for being such a dear listener Jack Williamson, I was thinking about how to introduce you but I think it would take me all day to list all of your accolades and things that you've achieved. You're a therapist, a coach, you're the author of the new best-selling, number one Amazon best-selling book, The Shitty Committee, founder of Music & You. I could go on. Thank you so much for joining me on Owning It, the Anxiety Podcast.
4: Oh, thank you, Caroline. It's so lovely to be here and also with a fellow amazing author as well, as I'm sure all of your wonderful listeners know. It's such a pleasure to actually be finally speaking to you after reading your book and discovering you a couple of years back. So um, the pleasure and the privilege is all mine today.
3: Oh, you're so kind. Thank you. Well, you have, as I was saying, an incredibly impressive and lengthy list of accolades within not just the music industry, but more recently, the mental health space. It's incredibly impressive and important, all the work that you're doing and have been doing over the last number of years. And you're really changing the shape of the landscape, the industry, the music industry and the entertainment industry and making it so much more. Accessible for everyone who struggle with mental health issues and, and beyond the, the music industry as well. But can you start, I guess, just by giving the listener a little bit of background on what it is that you do, the day job, what it is that brought you here and what what made you arrive at the Shitty Committee, which I'm going to ask you with the title of as well in a moment. <laughs>
4: <laughs> um, so, real long story short, I worked in the music industry for near on 20 years and Mental health has always been something in my own personal life that I've navigated and we all have mental health, but I've navigated a lot of mental ill health over the years. And then in 2015, so coming up near six years now, um, just before Christmas, 2015, I lost my brother to suicide, which for anyone or any listener that's gone through a bereavement, but more specifically a bereavement as a result of suicide, it completely changes everything in your life. And it really makes you again, you have to go through the process of grieving, but it really makes you stand back and actually reassess everything in your life, what's important to you, the meaning of life, what your purpose is, so on and so forth. And, and as a result of what happened with my brother, it kind of set me in a whole different pathway. And whilst I stayed in Specifically in the music industry, working in it for the next two or three years. Adjacent to that, I actually retrained and became qualified as a coach, a therapist in NLP, because I saw what was happening in the music industry and so many people in entertainment more broadly, where their mental health struggles were playing out publicly and being um, sensationalized in the media very much inappropriately, in my belief. And I was just like, look, we need to do more to support these individuals. What can we be doing? And how can we be supporting them? And actually not only that, but working upstream to actually prepare these individuals for what a career in the spotlight will entail. And whilst there's bigger aspirations of actually doing that in the educational system and working upstream to actually be doing that in primary schools elementary schools etc for me it was because I've worked in the music industry my whole adult life and because it is a public facing industry that kind of transition and working alongside the music industry now to support mental health is such a a passion project of mine that that is what fills up most of my day-to-day work now alongside other bits and pieces like writing a book like doing other bespoke work um more broadly
3: i love the way you say that like no big deal just writing a book on the side in my spare time (laughs) that happens to become a number one amazon bestseller (laughs) At what point did you notice or did you notice a point at which things started to change in the music industry where it was getting too much for people with the artists that you were working with, where there was a conscious shift towards wanting to normalise mental health issues and be vocal about things that are, you know, we're all experiencing, especially given it was such a public facing arena for so many people you're working with.
4: I mean, for me, my entry into the music industry was faced with mental health issues from artists. So I worked with Mariah first in 2001, just before she had her own mental health episodes during the glitter period of her career. And she's talked about it in her own book more recently. At the time that was going on, and I was working also with George Michael, and he's trials and tribulations with substance misuse was being played out in the media so from the very start of my entry into the music industry I experienced that and then also more importantly how the media kind of really fed into that and actually had a real responsibility Mm. for shaping the narrative of how that was played out and actually We've come a long way since then and actually the stigma, while still is there, is slowly reducing so that people are more open and transparent about their mental health. But I think over the years, working with artists, travelling with artists at all different levels, from emerging artists to superstar artists, you see a lot of this play out, like this need for validation, this question everything, this every single detail or minutiae being picked apart or criticised or critiqued, There. Mm-hmm their vulnerability of putting their most inner thoughts into a song, whereas more general public people would do that in a diary that's only for themselves. They're putting out their innermost thoughts out there for consumption. And then to be critiqued on that is a harrowing experience for anyone. And so it's just how you navigate that as well as everything else that comes with being in the spotlight. And seeing that is just, yeah, it's, it's something that really woke me to the importance of mental
0: health.
3: It's so tricky because I guess people like normal non-celebrity people assume that if you're putting yourself out there and you're taking all the good parts of the fame, you know, you're going to be open to critique, but people forget that they're human beings. They're just on a much more global platform. Is your work more so with the talent or the media to try and change the perception of that in the media?
4: So I work primarily with the talent and sometimes with the teams around the talent as well, because I think it is about proximity as well, because who you are is a reflection of, the five people closest to you, as a lot of studies say. Some dispute that, but I'm a firm believer of that. And so it's working with those individuals to actually understand their psyche, understand their mindset, understand what's happened to them in their childhoods that shapes the way they view the world or they perceive the world. So they understand what what is their significant triggers so that they can be prepared for that, to work through that. And then when it does arise, which invariably most of the times it does, that there's a support system in place to support that. But parallel to that, I do try to work with media to kind of help educate them or shape them. It's it like, for example, for me, and this was a complete misunderstanding on my side, when my brother died, I used to say, and people would ask me, I used to say, oh, my brother committed suicide. And I did some training shortly after my brother passed away. And I was informed that we don't actually say that because it's no longer a crime.
3: Okay, committed, yeah.
4: So we now actually say death as a result of suicide or has died because they took their own life or a variation of that. And I'm very, a big proponent of language. And I think it's about making sure that we're educating the media and teams um, because we're all a form of media and we all have our own platforms now through social media to actually make sure that we are putting out the right information. And that's also subjective as well, because what is the right information? And that's the whole bigger question that could be asked. I think it's just navigating that and just equipping the individuals with the mindsets, the tools, the techniques, and the support to help navigate them through that. But then try and where we can to actually educate, and inform, and evolve the way in which the media. Um, approaches that so that's what I try to do.
3: What was it like for you personally though working in such a high stakes high pressure environment I mean we all have seen movies about the cutthroat nature of the entertainment industry and you're working with big personalities and big expectations and big egos how did you protect your own mental health or did you have your own mental health struggles within that space before you kind of turned into this this more mental health focused work?
4: Yeah I definitely found that I struggled and depending on where I was working would depend on what my mental health struggles were I think when I worked in record labels for examples for the likes of Sony or Universal there was more stability there there was more structure there so the challenges were interpersonal working with managers that didn't know how to communicate effectively but also my interpretation of their communication and how that impacted me and not being necessarily able or willing to do the work to look at that then there's the culture of the lifestyle that the music industry kind of promotes and encourages which is that kind of sex drugs and rock and roll and I was never a proponent of drugs nor do I judge anyone that is but alcohol was definitely my advice and when you're going to gigs three or four times a week most people only go to three or four a year and it's a night out but when you're doing it three or four nights a week and you're drinking that has an impact on your mental health because Alcohol other than tequila is a depressant. So,
3: other than tequila,
4: tequila is a stimulant. That is the only alcohol that is a stimulant. So, that's a random fact there. In a pop quiz, if you ever go to a pop quiz, or a running a pop quiz, that's a question that you could ask.
3: Oh my God. You know, that's so funny because I mean, I don't really like tequila, but whenever I've had tequila cocktail or something, I have felt my like my physical anxiety just go through the roof. As soon as it hits me, like my heart is racing. And I've always just thought it was just tequila, but I guess it's the, the stimulant aspect. It,
4: it, it was a fascinating aspect to me. It didn't make me drink more tequila. No. But it, was just, <laughs> it was just interesting when I found that out um, and how that impacts you. And so for me... When I looked at the industry itself, it was that. But it was when I worked in management that I found the most issues. So you were managing talent yourself? When I was managing talent myself, I found that I, your success is based on their success. So when you're starting out, you don't earn any money unless they're earning money. And when you're starting out with an artist, you actually only will see the money once they get to a certain level. So you're speculating so it can form quite a codependent relationship where unless you have other sources of income to subsidize that kind of future planning that you're building to build a career so that they do make money, you are then dependent on them to do the work. So that can create quite a challenging dynamic in the relationship where you need them to do the work. And so that had impacts on my mental health as well so I think it it depends in the area that you work in I guess that's the same with being employed versus self-employed in other sectors of business where you've got to navigate that mindset of how do you motivate yourself rather than working for someone else how do you think long-term rather than short-term and it's, it's all of those aspects that come into mo- mental health, especially for me around motivation, because that's probably still to this day my biggest obstacle that I continually work to overcome.
3: So with everything that you've learned since you went off and trained and your experience with your brother and writing the book and, and all of the skills and tools that you've created an, an arsenal with, is there any moment in your more intense media, music industry career that you would go back to now, knowing what you know now And do differently, or is there any way you would help yourself differently in a particular moment that you struggled? And that would be relevant to someone listening who's in an equally high pressure environment.
4: This probably isn't appropriate for your listeners, but I'd be like, don't go into the music industry. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Yeah, I just think there's a lot of sharks out there. I mean, it's getting better now, but and I think maybe that's the same in other sectors. I I can only speak from my experience and I don't have insight into other cultures, but you see films like The Wolf of Wall Street, and it's this toxic culture especially from the top down of managing people and controlling people rather than leading um, and empowering people and I think that there's just such a toxic culture and it still is there to this day in many parts of the music industry that it's because a lot of the talent as in the artists themselves are a product but they're also a person, they have opinions. They want to do things a certain way. Whereas if you're marketing a Tesla or you're promoting a Mars bar, mm-hmm. those products aren't gonna say anything because they don't have a voice to say anything. So they can be molded, shaped, done into whatever they want um, without any feedback. And when, when the talent speaks back or speaks their truth, that causes an impact and the powers that be at the top are really responsible for emotional manipulation, mental manipulation. And so I just saw that and it just for me is and it still plays out to this day.
3: Yeah, I mean, you're making me think about the, the whole Britney Spears thing and how she was cookie cuttered out to be this particular product and the fallout of that. But then I'm thinking in more contemporary times, I mean, look, we have to talk about Lewis Capaldi, who you've done an incredible work with, who from the get go seems to have set out his own stall, what he's about. And I, I feel like he's someone who has really helped to change the narrative around that world. And he very much owns being a normal person with normal feelings. Tell me about working with him. And do you think he's heralding a new age for young artists to really own their own experience?
4: Yeah, I think that Lewis is, a, is an example and every artist is different and they should be their own selves. But you see artists like Lewis and Adele that part of their uniqueness or what attracts them to people and the general public is their personality as well as their amazing music. And I think that there is such power in their vulnerability to share their truth. And both of them have shared their struggles around anxiety. Both of them have similar, albeit slightly different forms of anxiety, but both suffer from panic attacks, both suffer from different forms of social anxiety or general anxiety disorder And so it's just navigating that. And more specifically with Lewis, I think he was very open to discuss his anxiety, which led to his manager, Ryan, myself and Lewis, then forming this initiative called Live Live, which took us around the UK and over to the wonderful Dublin last year to provide emotional support and mental health support for people attending concerts. Because what we see is that Now it's the norm when you go to, I will still always call it the point in Dublin, when you go to to the three arena in Dublin or when you go to Wembley Arena or the SECC or the Hydra Arena in Glasgow. Disabled access is the norm now. We've created access so that going to events is inclusive for people, irrespective of your physical ability. But what we've noticed, and I've struggled with social anxiety and panic attacks in social settings before, that we don't create spaces or we hadn't created spaces for people that felt overwhelmed, that needed a timeout or needed space to actually do that. And so that was important for all of us. And that collective vision meant that we could create something. And Lewis was an artist of a certain level where he had the ability to do so, where we were able to provide safe spaces in venues on the tour that allowed people that if they're experiencing social anxiety to come and into this quiet space to sit down, whether that's with noise cancellation headphones, whether that's with clinical therapists or counsellors to actually talk through what's going on for them but also open up to other people with other forms of mental health or mental ill health that just needed space to actually air work through or just a time out. And I think having that made for a more inclusive experience for people rather than exclusive to people that have no physical issues or have no mental health issues. It's like, let's make this a more open environment because as we all know, mental health or mental ill health isn't necessarily visible to the human eye because we can be having a complete breakdown inside, but we may hide that underneath the guise of a smile, or we may take ourselves off to the toilet and lock ourselves in a cubicle and have an emotional or mental health episode. But people don't necessarily see that on the outside because maybe we're so good at masking it or hiding it that actually we don't do that. And so that's why I love people like Lewis people like Adele these big artists that have these big platforms talking out about their mental health and specifically anxiety because it helps to continue to change the narrative in the public space around what anxiety is around how people are living with it and what they do and actually by seeing other people that are struggling with it it helps to show people oh it's not just me I'm not alone in this there are other people out there that experience the same feelings that I have And it's just helping to normalize that experience.
3: And I really believe as well that take away the anxieties that are all specific to one person, such as you might be feeling anxiety to do with your work, to do with going through a trauma. But then there's a top layer of anxiety that seems to exist for everyone, which is the space where we worry about what people will think about the fact that we're struggling with anxiety. And I think there's so much we can do to just shave that top layer off by normalizing it, by listening to people like Lewis and Adele talk about it, like you and your book and your your background. And I love the idea of Live Live in that I used to always think, oh, well, I can't really go to festivals or anything because I think I'll feel overwhelmed. And like, you can only be there if you're really hardcore into it and you want to be up till 5am and you want to do drugs and you want to do this yeah. and that. And it's just not me. But the idea that you don't have to be a certain kind of person to be welcome at a gig or that you don't have to wait till you don't have any social anxiety or you don't have any fear of being in crowds or really confined space that you don't have to wait till you get to that point, which you won't get to that point because that's just human nature, to be welcome and to actually go and have a good time. I think that's really, really brilliant because I think so often my listeners are waiting to get to a point where anxiety no longer holds them back before they do something or if they have success. And I'm always saying, no, like bring just bring your anxiety along with you. It can coexist with all the things you're trying to do. You can bring anxiety along on your wedding day and still have a brilliant time and still acknowledge that you might feel a bit overwhelmed and that's just that's really really important i think
4: yeah and i think for me it's about harnessing your anxiety it's as as you've talked about on your podcast before it's like anxiety and in your wonderful book as well owning it um i think it's all about how we navigate our anxiety and know that it's there and it's it's part of the amygdala it's part of our 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 primary response as humans that goes back millennia and i think that utilizing it and knowing that with our adrenaline, if you can harness it the right way, you turn it into excitement rather than into anxiety. And it's just about being comfortable in that uncomfortableness, giving it space, but actually allowing yourself to work with whatever works for you. And it's never a one size fits all. Like we all have techniques, we all have tools that work and what works for one person doesn't work for another and what works for one of my clients won't work for another. And so it's just about finding what works for you, but trying to avoid your anxiety is only going to enhance it trying to not allow yourself to do stuff because of your anxiety obviously honor your anxiety and if you really do feel overwhelmed then then you need to honor that but at at the same time if you can it's just try and be comfortable in that uncomfortableness and step outside your comfort zone because everything beyond your comfort zone is what's waiting for you and that there's amazing things that can happen for you if you can be vulnerable enough and courageous enough to lean into your anxiety and um, and take that step. Because like you said, you could have an amazing time at that wedding. You could have an amazing time at that festival. You could have an amazing time after you've given that speech or whatever variant it may be. But it's just about kind of leaning into it.
3: I could not agree more. I mean, I talk about anxiety all the time, but just hearing you articulate it in that way is really inspiring and encouraging so thank you for that I have to get on to the subject of the book the shitty committee it's just a brilliant concept first of all why the title and what did you think was lacking in society or what did you think needed to be written in a book that we didn't have or what needed to be addressed
4: so, so with regards to the title a real long story short I was I've been sober nearly four years now and I thought that you know, we're, we're taught all these things. It's like to become sober, you need to go to AA meetings and that's the done thing to do. And I went to a couple and I realised it wasn't for me. But one amazing thing that came out of being at the AA meeting was when they were doing their shares in the circle, someone said, oh, they woke up after a hangover. And when they woke up... the." the what I called originally the critic or the fear, the beer fear or whatever you want to call it, it was like, yep. And there I was. I woke up and the shitty committee was right there waiting for me, being like, "What the fuck have you done? Who who have you have pissed off this time?" Blah 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 blah. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh my god, I love that because working in the music industry for twenty years, everything rhymes to me and everything in my head. Like if if people could listen to my head when I hear other people speak, there is always a song." that is associated with what people say. And even when I do therapy sessions with my clients, um, there's always a song that's playing in my head. And now I bring that into the space because my clients know me well enough that I'll bring it in. But with the book then, so that was where the name came from the shitty committee. But then in terms of then looking at what the book meant and how that came to be, that discovering the title, the shitty committee happened three and a half years ago, but I didn't start writing the book until May this year, so May 2021.
3: Wow, it's, you you turned it around so quickly to get it published so quickly. Well done. I'm usually like a couple of years before it gets sent off to print. And then you're like, oh, I forgot what I've even written now.
4: <laughs> I think uh, for me, because this was such a new and foreign experience to me, I had no comparison apart from the music industry. And so I just started writing it in May and I was kind of, it was I have a thing called a bucket list, which is my own unique take on a bucket list, um, which is 200 items that I want to do before I die. And one of them was to write a book and it got to May this year and I was meant to go away on holiday and real long story short, I keep on saying real long story short, (laughs) but, and so I was meant to go away, but two of my planned holidays got cancelled, one because there was a war in Israel at the time and another because... Turkey was still on the red list at the time for travel and so I was like right this is your opportunity don't look at that as a disappointment look at it as an opportunity let's write about let's use this time to write the book because you said you want to do it but you keep on putting it off and kicking it down the road so in that two to three weeks that I had I set about writing this book and for me I've read god hundreds of books on self-help over the years maybe even in the thousands now Wow! and they all have their own unique lens and they all have their own unique perspective and they all bring their own stuff even your amazing book owning it really spoke to me when I read it the first time two years ago and what I love about a lot of these books is when people bring their own unique perspective and lens into it and so a lot of the stuff that you will see in books there will be similar themes that appear because We're all pulling from similar, if not slightly different information about the mindset or the psychology. Mm -hmm. But what I love is when you read those books, or those stories that give you like a unique perspective on stuff that speaks to your soul, that speaks to your truth, that people can understand and relate to. And a lot of the times I was kind of like, oh, well, no one talks about X or no one talks about Y. And so I thought to myself, it's like, well, we talk about the inner critic, but what about the responsibility of the external shitty committee—the the company we keep and how they make us feel like shit, and how we can be doing work there to actually make ourselves feel better about the consumable shitty committee—the stuff that we consume, and that's not just food and drink, but also social media or media more generally, and how that can also make us feel like shit. And so for me, it was like what I wanted to do was actually look at those three different variants—the internal—so that what I call the shitty committee, but other people call the saboteur or the inner critic or the chin paradox, mm-hmm. whatever. And then look at the external shitty committee. So the company we keep and how we can reevaluate that to feel better. And then look at the consumable and actually help people navigate that. So for me, it was just something that I wrote specifically just for me
3: yeah it's always the best thing to do though isn't it because if you needed it if it's something that would help you it's going to resonate with other people who feel similar
4: exactly I think I always say this it's like when I work with clients in a coaching capacity rather than a therapeutic capacity I'm like and it's about business I'm like who is your ideal client and invariably your ideal client should be you from five to ten years ago because if you could gift yourself that book or if you could give to yourself that podcast or that whatever variant or consumable thing you're giving a course, whatever it may be to yourself five, 10 years ago, what would they have taken from that and what would they be able to do? And how would they have been able to navigate their life in a new way or a different way or an evolved way? And so for me, that was what I did, but as time's gone on and as it's been released, as it only got released last month on the 10th of October for world mental health awareness day, I expected it just to do a couple of sales by a few friends, but then it's just taken on this whole life of its own and got PR reviews and endorsements by the, the greatest of the greatest I mean I, I still Pinch myself That Oprah Winfrey Has endorsed my book I mean that
3: I am so jealous Like <laughs> That is I mean That probably didn't Wasn't even on your Fuck it list And you've got to add it on now Because you've just been endorsed By fucking Oprah How did that feel And what did she say And and what was the impact of that Well
4: Oprah Actually Oprah is on my Fuck it list
3: Oh is she Oh well You're very ambitious I guess I need to think bigger <laughs>
4: Well no I think Comparison is the thief of joy So you should only ever look at yourself my dear as opposed to looking at other people's but with oprah like on my fucking list is to meet oprah one day because she is my guru or she is my mecca or god or whatever you want to call them like i just when you work in the industry you you kind of or in entertainment it's a lot smaller than you think and we because of the relationships that i've built over the years i'm able to get books into the right hands of people Mm -hmm. so i can I would never give them to my clients because it, it cross-contaminates what we do. So I would never give a client a book because that's, for me, inappropriate and unethical. But with relationships that I have of artists that I've worked with over the years, be it Enrique Iglesias, be it The Chainspokers, be it Mariah Carey, et cetera, if I've continued to have those relationships then I'm happy to reach out to them directly or their team to send them a copy of my book. And so it is just about, building and nurturing those relationships that I have done over the 20 years that means I'm enabled to get my book into the right hands of people.
3: Well I love that you're honest about that because I think a lot of people might just think it's pure luck but it is 20 years of building on a relationship and being a decent person and and looking after your
4: relationships and your network. A hundred percent and I remember being told this from a very young age it's like Jack when you enter into the world of business the most important person that you see in a business is never the CEO. People make the biggest mistake when they go to the most important person in the room. And it was like, Jack, the most important people in the world in terms of business, I think everyone is equally important. So I slightly disagree with this point. But in terms of the point, it's a salient point. Nonetheless. And so when you look at this, it's the most important people in a business or an organization is the PA or the EA. The IT person, because technology, if it all goes to shit, then you need them to help you. The facilities person that can help with all the all the kind of general stuff in the office. Security, you want to be nice to them because they will help and they can control stuff. And it's about working with the, what people may term the help. And I think that's diminishing to call them to help the help in some respects, because actually they are the people that make stuff happen. They are the power behind the power. They are the people that actually can help you navigate your way through life and you never know who they may be tomorrow. And I've seen so many artists that have been amazing at acknowledging the help and so many artists that have been awful at acknowledging the help or actually treated them awfully. And invariably nine times out of 10, that person would be exactly the same in the real world if they weren't public figures. Um, because fame doesn't change who you are it just reveals or enhances who you already are so if you were a horrible person before you're famous you're still going to be a horrible person afterwards it's not going to change it's just going to enhance that but for me I think it's you build those relationships you save those relationships you make sure you treat people with respect and dignity because they are human beings and you don't ignore them or diminish them or treat them like crap because I've been made to feel that way many a time by people and I and you always remember those people that make you feel awful yeah as equally as well as that person that made your day or made a difference I mean I don't know um, if your listeners got to see it and I know listeners from all, from all around the world but Adele did her special in the UK I won't give away the bits, so anyone that hasn't seen it watched it but um, there is a moment there where someone important in her life comes out and it's the, pa- the power of that one person that can actually shape or change our narrative. We all have that one person in our life, whether it's a friend, whether it's a teacher, whether it's a parent, that actually changes our narrative and actually makes us feel good and actually can ease our anxieties or make us feel less depressed or whatever. And I think it's so important that we do that work. And that's why I've always done that over the 20 years, which has then allowed me to build those relationships, which then has allowed me to get the book in the right hands to then get
0: fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. A lot can happen in three
2: years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend, but what won't change? Needing health insurance. Healthcare tri-term medical plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.
3: So we're talking here about the externals. A lot of what the podcast has been till now has been focused on the internals and the things that we can control, like our mindset, our, our reaction to things. But a big source, you're completely right. A big source of anxiety is the externals. Is this the company we keep? Is the people we surround ourselves? How in the book do you suggest people identify their external shitty committee? And and like something I just find impossible is if if you if you realize there's a relationship in your life that is making you doubt yourself or give, giving rise to anxiety, it's so hard to go about separating yourself from that. It's so hard not to get consumed. It would just be easier just to say nothing and keep your head down. How can people do that?
4: Um, it's really hard. And I i would recommend anyone that's listening, if they want to do it, shameless plug here, but read the book and jump straight to chapter seven, becoming a gynecologist.
3: Oh, I, I was meant to ask you about that. You tell me about that as
4: well. Well, I'm mindful about that because it does say the C word in there and'm I'm, I'm very mindful of dividing people with the C word.
3: I love the C word, but you can just call it the C word for the podcast.
4: <laughs> okay, I'm glad that you do and I know a lot of people do, but it's, it's but okay, so let me create David AK rewind uh, yeah. <laughs> So in regards to the external shitty committee, I think for me, we are a reflection of the company we keep and it, it is really hard because a lot of us, can have people pleasing syndrome where we want to please others and we're really good and I often ask this question to my clients I say are you good at saying no if they're people pleasers and they're like yeah I, um, I am really um, bad at saying no and I'm like actually you're really good at saying no and they're like really and I'm like the problem is is the person you're saying no to isn't the person that you need to be saying no to. The person you're saying no to is yourself. So every time you're saying yes to going out with someone that makes you feel like shit, you're saying no to yourself and what you really need. Every time you're saying yes to doing something you don't want to do, you're saying no to actually what you actually want to do and you're diminishing yourself. And so that people pleasing that we often can find ourselves caught up in can diminish ourselves. But also you can be around those drains. You know, those people that... They sit there and they're just talking about themselves and like they got the call from NASA telling them the world revolves around them. Like, (laughs) hold on a second. I'm sure the world still revolves around the sun and not around you, but they just suck the oxygen out of you. And they come away feeling great because they've talked about themselves for however long they've been with you. But you may want to talk to them about a problem that you're having, a problem in your relationship, a problem with work or whatever, but they haven't given or created space about you or even worse, you say, oh, my God, I'm having a really bad time with my partner at the moment I'm doing that. And then they go, oh, yeah, me too. And it's really bad. And it's just like they completely diminish mm, your value your mm. worth. And so it's about, for me, it's about doing an evaluation. I have that in Chapter 7 of my book, Becoming a Gynecologist, where you look at all those people in your life and you do like an evaluation of those people that are closest to you or that you spend your time with. And work out how much time you're spending with them and how they're making you feel. Because, you know, that one slight bad feeling can feel bad, but it's the same as the expression death by a thousand cuts. You may only notice a slight hurt by one cut, but when you have Mm -hmm. a thousand of them, it's really going to start to hurt you. And so it's actually taking the time to evaluate that, look at that time and actually be like, oh, wow, I'm spending like half of my time with these people that make me feel like shit. I need to do something about that. So it's just about reevaluating that and actually moving them outside of your inner circle into an outer circle into kind of... And they may even become acquaintances or you may need to cut them out like completely. But it just depends on how you view that relationship, what the mm-hmm. cost-benefit analysis is.
3: And then the consumables. So, I mean, for me, social media is a big source of social comparison, anxiety, just the the physical habit of picking up the phone and scrolling all the time and just consuming stuff that I don't particularly care for, or I don't need to see, or doesn't add any value to my life. But I feel like, and a lot of people do, especially anyone who works for themselves or anyone who has any kind of business, you kind of have to be honest. You know, you have to putting stuff out there to for people to know about the podcast or to market your book or anything like that to sustain a network. How do you approach the consumable shitty committee? And, and is there any, any key takeaway you can give to the listener to keep in mind as they consume throughout the day?
4: Yeah, I think social media is a massive one at the moment because we all ver- invariably are utilizing it in some way, shape or form. And It's something that I struggle with a lot myself. And exactly like you said, Caroline, it's like we need to promote the work that we do as entrepreneurs, as self-employed people um, to build our business, to build podcasts, to sell our books, to sell other things that we're doing, to promote events we might be partaking in or running, whatever it may be. And it can be very hard sometimes because, one, you are the product, if you are the individual, so you're putting yourself out there. But even on social media, we're all putting ourselves out there in some way, shape, or form. And sometimes we're having we're putting filters on, or we're distorting ourselves, or we're showing our highlight reel rather than our true self. And that's where we can also find ourselves comparing ourselves to others. And I think whilst it's happening with some accounts, it's you see, Instagram is still having the number of likes showing on most profiles, rather than mm-hmm. and some profiles now have x person and others as the liked, and i think it's we're in this space where social media is probably going to become if it's not already i don't know the statistics but the biggest form of addiction that cripples the world right now i th- i actually would argue that it is the biggest form of addiction far superseding yeah. alcohol and drugs Because the way in which social media is done and the dopamine hits we get from the notifications, from the likes, the feelings that we get, and that kind of up and down feeling that we get when it's like, oh, we didn't get as many likes as that last post. Or, oh, that didn't sell as well as we thought it would do from that promotion or whatever the variant or the metric of measurement that we all utilize to define or denote how successful something is it's really crippling and so it's
3: like it described as a slot machine in your pocket
4: and it's so true exactly I was just reading something yesterday for this next book I'm doing and um it is I was reading this book Mindfuck um on Cambridge Analytica and how they talked about how Facebook has been made to be like a slot machine where it's just an ever-rolling feed of like constant stuff that perpetuates you to stay on platform because that helps them with their advertising revenue and I just think it's it's so hard and I would never tell anyone to not be on social media, but it's just about how you regulate that and actually what you keep in your feed. Because if you, if you've got all the, if you have body dysmorphia or if you have issues relating to food, or if you are someone that naturally leans towards negative, it's like, again, like I said, with the external shitty committee, do an inventory of all the accounts you're following. And it's like, do those people make me feel better or do they make me feel worse? If they make me feel worse, unfollow them. And if you can't do that because you're scared that it may offend your relationships because that person is a friend in the real world, then mute them so that they don't show up in your social media.
3: I love the mute button. It is the best thing ever. (laughs)
4: It is. is, Do you know what? That is the one positive from the negative. Uh, Social media does a a lot of amazing things. I wouldn't have discovered your amazing book if it wasn't for social media, for example. Mm -hmm. On the flip side, it's like there are a lot of negatives and like anything, it can be weaponized to good or bad. But that mute button so you don't have to see other people's BS and it's like, oh my god seriously look at my child I'm so amazing and I'm just like (laughs) that's the 75th picture of your child I've seen this week and I really don't care it's only Tuesday
3: (laughs) that's probably me
4: (laughs) and and I'm happy for you and I and and, and that wasn't a slight at you Caroline
3: no I'm only joking
4: (laughs) but you know it's like I'm all happy for you to take pictures and to show your truth but if I'm not a parent and a child isn't part of my life exactly or if I've just gone through I, I can't because I'm a male but if I've just gone through a miscarriage mm-hmm. the last thing I may want to see is someone happily with their child and that shouldn't diminish your truth and sharing no. your truth because you have every right to share those pictures of your beautiful children and I encourage that but if you are the person on the other side that doesn't want to see that and yeah. The mute button is your favorite friend. A
3: hundred percent. Yeah. You have to, you have to create boundaries and, and protect your own energy. I think we feel we owe it to everyone else to consume all of their stuff. But I mean, it's like you say, when it comes to social media, we have to act as if the world revolves around us to protect ourselves.
4: Yeah. And and, the, and, and in some respects, you should feel like the world revolves around you because the world, we never see the world as it is. We see the world as we perceive it. And so we we are responsible for our perception of the world. And so we have to use our own filters to actually determine what we allow in and what we don't allow into our world. So exactly like I said with the external city committee to do that inventory, do it with your social media and actually determine like what works for me. What fills me up? Is it quotes? Is it puppies? Is it whatever it may be? Put more of that in your social media content if you need to be on that platform to inspire you and don't let comparison be the thief of your joy. Utilize it for inspiration. If you need to be inspired by other people that are in your space, if you're an entrepreneur and you're looking to do stuff that's similar and use that as inspiration, but don't let that comparison take you away from where you are because actually you don't know. They may have a team of 50 people working on their social media like Gary V. They may be a one man or one woman or one person show that is doing all this content, but they don't have two children to look after or they haven't just gone through a bereavement. So it's just about honouring your truth and knowing actually that, do you know what? No one knows what's going on behind closed doors unless you're filming it twenty four seven. your life. Then with that, you need to give yourself permission to be like, do you know what? I'm only seeing 10% of their life, if that. I need to honor my truth. I need to keep the positive stuff in there. I need to filter out or remove the negative stuff from my social media. And then I need to just harness that. And whether with me, I put a timer on 45 minutes a day. I only allow myself 45 minutes a day on my social media. And then I get that notification on my phone saying time's up. So just limiting your access as well if you can be disciplined enough, if you can't put the timer on like me, if you're also like me where you ignore it.
3: Yeah, I was just about to say, it's too easy to just say, just ignore for today.
4: (laughs) And what I would love to see, and I've tried to have this conversation with the powers that be at Apple and Facebook and whatnot, is when you unlock your phone, rather than put your fingerprint in or when you're accessing stuff, actually have something where it says, what three things am I grateful for today? So that actually, it's so easy for us to be like, oh, I know what I should do to promote or look after my mental health. I should practice the attitude of gratitude. But actually, rather than entering in your passcode or your face identification or your fingerprint or whatever, actually putting today I'm grateful for and listing three things and then it unlocks your phone. If we could do stuff like that, that proactively puts us in a mindset to actually promote our well-being or to do things if we're looking through an anxiety lens, What three things have you done today to actually help manage or support or navigate your anxiety to remind yourself of that every day? That habit that you're building creates a different habit to the habit of scrolling through social media and feeling worse and worse about yourself. So I think for me, it's all about habit building and sustaining that mindset.
3: You have a lot of brilliant exercises in the book as well. I'm a big fan of taking pen to paper or something practical that can really put you in the driving seat of, owning your anxiety or your mental health in general, what is the one exercise that you turn to again and again, when you find yourself feeling overwhelmed, what's your favorite that you've included in the book?
4: So my favorite would probably be the, where are my M&Ms technique? And it actually is specifically around anxiety and performance anxiety. And what it is, is the six different M's that you can use to actually help you not when an anxiety attack happens, but to prepare you or to support you turn that adrenaline into excitement rather than anxiety so what I do is I stack up the six Ms and I Mm -hmm. I do that as a kind of habit plan before I do a talk before I do any kind of place or go to an event before I get myself into a state where I start to get social anxiety or I can feel my anxiety really starting to spiral which may then lead to an anxiety or panic attack I'm like, let me focus on my, where are my M&Ms? So the six M's that I have are movement, motivation, mindfulness, mirage, mentorship, and metabolism. And I had to be a bit cheeky with number four with mirage because I wanted to say visualization, but Mm -hmm. that wouldn't have worked with the M&M techniques. No. (laughs) I had to be creative there. It works, it works. But yeah, so just to give a quick, if people are really interested, they're more than welcome to read it in the book. Um, but just to give a quick overview of the 6M, so movement is all about how our physiology, we can harness our adrenaline by using our movement to harness that energy that's going around our body to turn it into something that actually can help us. So whether that is going for a run, whether that's jumping down on, up and down on a trampoline, whether that's having a power pose. So when you see the likes of Queen Beyonce stepping out on stage, she has a power pose that she holds for a certain amount of time before she starts her concert. The same with the Marvel action figures. When you see them go into battle, they're holding a power pose. It's also about your posture, how your physiology, how if you have your shoulders back, your head up, you're opening your body more rather than being hunched back and leaned in and closing your body off. So looking at what you can do with your movement to actually help harness that adrenaline that's going around. And then with motivation, it's about giving yourself that self talk what actually motivates you, so those mantras that you can tell yourself, those affirmations that you can tell yourself that are going to help you to remind yourself, because when your anxiety hits, there's all kinds of words that the shitty committee may be saying to you, but you need to actually remind yourself, it's like, today I give my inner goddess permission to be happy, or to be alive, or whatever you want to say, so utilizing motivational stuff, and that can be other stuff as well that can be a song that makes you feel motivated or a playlist or a podcast that helps you um listening to your podcast caroline owning it for some people may help them feel motivated and may feel less anxious afterwards because they've heard something or have taken something away that feels good so that's two of the m's the third m is mindfulness so just savoring that moment because sometimes with anxiety we i can't speak for everyone else we all have our own relationship but for me I feel like I'm getting swept up in a hurricane and the more and more I allow my thoughts to go it goes from a category one hurricane to a category five in some instances Mm -hmm. where I have a full-blown panic attack and I'm like if only I could just go back to the eye of the storm where it's like peaceful and quiet in the eye of a hurricane then I can ground myself and be present so actually practicing mindfulness whether that's through meditation and using apps or breathing or savoring by they say to suck on a raisin fuck that okay (laughs) Get the chocolate <laughs> bar, savor that chocolate. It's much more flavorsome <laughs> than, a pea, than a raisin. Um, so it's doing that. And then mirage, it's like, that's the one that I had to be creative with. It's A mirage is just an illusion. And our brain doesn't know the difference between what's real and what's not. So if we can visualize or create that mirage in our heads by shutting our eyes and picturing you going out on stage and performing to a crowd or giving a speech or speaking in a meeting or whatever you're afraid of or like coming away from that event that you were scared to go to feeling great and visualizing it and using like tricking your mind so to speak into actually something successful happening you're going to create a a kind of narrative in your mind that actually things are going to be okay and then also mentorship it's Leaning into people that can support you through that journey. So all of your listeners lean into you, Caroline, because you in some way, shape or form are a mentor to them because you are able to impart knowledge, wisdom, advice and learnings through your podcast, through your books, through other work that you do to help support them. So leaning into people that can help you. And then the final M is just making sure that you actually take care of yourself by being conscious of what we've just talked about and your metabolism and being conscious of what you eat, because um not just eat, but the reason I said eat there is because alcohol, a poor diet and caffeine can actually exacerbate your anxiety. And mm-hmm. so it's actually being mindful of what you're consuming in terms of your food and drink, but as well as what we've talked about with social media or the media, like the news watching the news, it's all catastrophic and, oh, the pandemic or, oh, this war or, oh, that's happening. It's like, that's going to make you feel bad and actually going to contribute to that. So kind of removing that noise where you can is what I try and teach. So those are the six M's that I teach well, my clients to help them with their anxiety.
3: That's incredible. I, I love that so much. And I I'm now I'm realizing that you had referenced the five P's that I did an episode on before. But these, these kind of frameworks are so helpful to put into action for the listener or to have in the back pocket or to write down on your phone or on your piece of paper when you feel anxiety rising or when you're about to do something that's going to be anxiety inducing. It's really, really good. I love everything that you're saying there, especially the idea of like adding in the mentorship and the metabolize. So like what you're consuming at the end, because people underestimate, they really do underestimate, like someone's really stressed out. They've got to go into a big board meeting and they're having three espressos in the morning and it's like well that's going to massively exacerbate the feeling of stress and anxiety and people take take it for granted but that's like I call it like the low-hanging fruit you know that's stuff you can take away and give yourself a far greater chance of feeling calm and at ease and being able to function and perform at your best.
4: Your low-hanging fruit is my shiny object syndrome yeah it's like oh that's shiny let me quickly take that and it's like oh is that actually going to help me in the long run or is that going to hinder me it's like no, that's taking me away it's that quick fix that gives me what I need now, but is actually going to have an adverse effect or actually take me further away from what I need to do or what I want to achieve in the long run. Yeah. And that can be in regards to anxiety or it can be applied to anything. So it's just keeping your mindset on actually what is important and actually knowing that, to you know what, well, I may be tired or I may be exhausted because the adrenaline that's pumping around my body that has led me to feel anxious all the day is shattering. So I do feel restless. So I do want that caffeine to actually help me feel more awake or alert, but then you're just stuck in this perpetual cycle of repeating the same process again and again, because that caffeine is giving fuel to anxiety. Your anxiety, if prolonged makes you feel tired, then you want to actually stop feeling tired, but you may not have the ability to sleep or rest because you've got commitments and then so the process continues
3: oh it really is like a hamster wheel jack i can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast and sharing with me so eloquently all that you've learned it's so interesting hearing about the industry and your background in particular is so unusual in the mental health space and i really appreciate it and i know that my listeners really will too and i don't doubt that your brother would be incredibly proud of you for having turned your life into this mission that helps other people to identify their shitty committee. And I hope that you're proud of yourself too.
4: Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. I, I hope you will be too. I'm, I'm taking these ashes off to Antarctica in two weeks. So um, I'll have a moment yeah. in there to celebrate um the success of the year and reflect back. Um, so yeah, but it, it's, it's one of those things that, I think anyone on this podcast can relate to, we, we often celebrate everyone else's successes, but we don't necessarily take the time to celebrate our own. So what I do is I try and find moments here or there to celebrate that and then to honor my brother as well. So me and him will have a little moment on Antarctica next month where we can just, um, laugh and obviously he's not here. So I imagine what he would say, but, um, but yeah i just do that little little thing with him as well so yeah i hope wherever he is wherever we go after this life um he's watching on and feels proud of what i've been able to do in his name and in his honor Aww
0: that's
3: so beautiful where can people access the book and any of your like social media content are you sharing tips and things on social media for people if they want just a little daily dose
4: yes so my book is available in um, primarily on digital outlets it's going to be coming to stores in January because I had a phased approach Um, so yeah if you go onto Amazon or Google Play or or Barnes and Noble um, it's available there and other retail outlets and then if anyone wants to follow me on social media I'm at Jack christopher williamson on uh instagram and jack williamson author on tiktok but i beware there because my daughter is my book and she's turned into a character and she wants to be an influencer so um (laughs) there are some there are some inappropriate commentaries so i'm doing that because the joys of social media is a wonderful place so if you want tools and techniques i'll be sharing more there as time prevails and if you want a laugh then head to my tiktok as well
3: i'm going to say thank you and stop recording so that i can ask you what i really want to ask you which is who's the biggest arsehole you've ever worked (laughs) with
2: Pack your bags with high quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365 day returns.
3: The easiest way to access Owning It Real Time is to head to the link in the episode description or episode details, whatever you call them, show notes, you will find the link in there at the top you can sign up right away for owning it real time and access a full library of 10 situation specific audio guides that will help you own your anxiety even more than you've ever done before.